This episode of the Stubborn Tortoise podcast is brought to you by McAllen Sports. McAllen Sports is the Valley's leader in personalization and customization. They've been providing quality goods and services to the great people of the Rio Grande Valley since 1979. Their family is second to none in customer service, and they push themselves daily to meet the needs of the people in the most efficient capacity. So come on by and take a look at their wide variety of custom products and sporting goods to outfit your team or event in style. And by the way, McAllen Sports is also the creator or the printer, I will say, of the official swag of this podcast, um, some of which I'm going to be putting on um, Facebook here shortly. But if you are in the Valley or if you're just needing a place to do some printing, we can do things virtually these days. Um, you can call McAllen Sports at 956-687-3791 or see them at mcallensports.com. Hello, welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. So today's episode is a, what I call a twofer, uh, in that I am talking to someone who is over age 50, might even be over age 60, mm -hmm. you'll find out, and who has actually experienced COVID-19. Yes, I am speaking of my friend Frank Arredondo, who is a uh, pharmacist uh, living in the Rio Grande Valley with his adorable, lovely wife, Tyra, who actually I met Tyra first. Um, we were running buddies, and uh, then I, of course, made Frank's acquaintance not too long after, and uh, they both live in McAllen, and yeah, Frank is a pharmacist, Tyra is a nurse, and this kind of made them an interesting combination um, when he fell ill with COVID-19. Um, actually, he was, what's interesting about, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that are very interesting about Frank, but I think uh, what makes him kind of sets him apart from your average COVID sufferer, if it will, I mean, if there is such a thing, um, and I don't mean to offend anyone um, by saying that, but he was one of the very first people in the Rio Grande Valley to be hospitalized. Um, I think he was hospitalized uh, late March of last year, survived, really does not have any lingering side effects other than what they call COVID toes, which he will, he will address in this interview. Um, just a wonderful person. And um, I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think a lot about what it was, you know, what it must have been like for him and Tyra. I mean, especially Tyra. I mean, I, you know, obviously Frank, I, I feel for him, but I also think about Tyra just because, you know, she's a nurse and she kind of was, you know, pretty much aware of what was going on, whereas Frank was, you know, the patient. And so he didn't really know as much, you know, about what was going on. And uh, if it, it was for, uh, if it wasn't for Tyra, um, their story may not have made news. Um, they were featured um, in local and state reports as well as on CNN. In fact, I can remember watching their interview last year on CNN going, I know that guy. And um, yeah, so I think his story is very interesting and unique, and I think we can learn something from it. Um, and I think that obviously the doctors learned quite a bit from his experience. And um, so without further ado, let me just share my interview with Frank Arredondo. All right. Well, here I have Frank Arredondo. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Uh, I'm impressed that you're rolling your R's. When I lived in Houston, I was Arredondo for the longest time. And oh, yeah, or Calfarius. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I studied Spanish. Um, I actually went to Guatemala for a couple of weeks, and then I went to Mexico for an immersion for about a month. Uh-huh. Few years ago, and yeah, and so I've, I've done a lot of traveling in Latin America. So I, it, yeah, I, I, I'm not great. I'm not great. In fact, I've been doing that uh, Duolingo thing, um, yeah. phone app, and I've been doing that daily for like the last month and a half. And um, yeah, I was trying to learn French through Duolingo. 
<clears throat> but I think they're charging out beyond once you get beyond a certain list. Yeah, well, I, I went ahead and signed up for the one year. I think it's like 50 bucks or something. I don't, it, it wasn't a particularly expensive. I was just like, you know what? It's worth it for me just to kind of motivate me. In the... Well, there's two different parts of the brain that as far, as far as language, one is to understand and the other one is to speak. So yeah, here order, you know, uh, regardless whether you speak English or Spanish, if you only, if you never uh, take the, the effort to actually speak the language, then you'll never speak the language. Right. Well, I don't have too much trouble speaking it. My problem is understanding what people are saying to me because I know how to say what I want to say. Uh, <laughs> and this is this this thing is good though because they they'll say stuff and I'm just like what that, that went really fast. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. My, yeah. Anyway, so so here we go. Well, I pronounced your name properly. Um, yes, and I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, quite honestly, and. Um, just I, don't, I never got around to asking so and you know as I mentioned the other day um, you are a, uh, a a dual threat guest if you were <laughs> threat that's, that's terrible right. being over 50 and also having uh well, actually, COVID. actually 60 you know the I remember right when the the I mean they weren't looking at as a looking at it as a pandemic yet I think <clears throat> March or maybe they were but I knew that the, the, when you look at the, the potential for actually getting really sick, it, the, the graph was pretty flat, 40, 50. But as soon as you hit the threshold of 60, it started going more vertical. Yeah. And being, I'm 61 now, but being 60 at the time, I was keenly aware of the, the danger. Right. So, I mean, I, I truly was uh, experienced a bit of anxiety. Oh man, yeah, I, 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 I'm right there with you. Yeah, I mean, I just turned sixty, and so yeah, I mean, it, not that I really thought about, you know, I mean, you know, neither of us, you know, I mean, I always thought of you as, you know, someone who would never get this, and so that's that's why it was so kind of um, shocking, I guess, and I'm sure it was for you too. So, um, but yes, yeah, so well, first of all, let's just talk about your uh, background real quick, and then we'll get into the the, the, the story. Uh, so. Well, um, um. Uh, uh, I moved down to the valley about uh, 29 years ago, originally from El Paso, lived in Houston and then Corpus Christi. And uh, <clears throat> um, I've been, I was in pharmaceutical sales for a number of years, but I've been back in pharmacy for the last uh, 27 years or so. Do you like that better? Well, I mean, they each have their, their pluses, you know, uh, as, a, as a sales representative, pharmaceutical sales representative, you're selling to the most educated customer in the world. And then as a pharmacist, uh, especially down here, depending on where you are in the Valley, you're actually uh, interacting with the least educated customer in the world. <clears throat> so I, I took it as a personal challenge to basically, I mean, I've got uh, my, the knowledge that I have. So it was up to me to creatively um, utilize the knowledge that I have to basically best impart my knowledge, what didn't matter who I was talking to. So. I, I, I found it uh, rather gratifying and satisfying, you know, regardless of who, uh, who I spoke to, you know. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. Well, it yeah. sounds like you. you so, so needless to say, as, as a pharmacist, uh, <clears throat> we come in, uh, in contact with with a, a fair number of people every day interacting. And I've been uh, immunizing pharmacists for, gosh, the last 20, 20 25 years or so. And of course, over the years has been mostly flu and some of the other, the tetanus. Jingles. Jingles, especially. Yeah, that's been real popular as of late. Need to get one, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they've got a new shingles vaccine that is a two series. Uh, the one that was out there before only basically protected you about maybe 25, 30% of the time. The new one's closer uh, to about 90 or so. Yeah. 85, 90%. Still hurts though, right? What's that? I said it still hurts though, right? Uh, to get the shot or to get the shingles? Well, both. <laughs> I know it hurts to get the shingles, but my friends oh, got the shot said I mean, that they're pretty sore for a few days. So but, yeah. Shingles would be so bad because basically you, you feel it before you see it because basically the virus, which is the chickenpox virus, is embedded in the trunk of the nerve when you got chickenpox. And it's been lying there dormant for uh, most of people's lives. And then there's something as we get older, either uh, an aspect of our immune system or stress or whatever that basically 
revives or reactivates that virus. And it starts basically right there at the level of the nerve. So people start feeling the itching, the burning, and a lot sooner before they start actually seeing the ulcerations on the, on the skin. And it can be so bad where people need, you know, narcotic painkillers, oxycodone, hydrocodone. Um, and then, and even after the, the shingles has gone, they're still on pain medicine for a year out. So a lot of it depends on the, infant. yeah. So, so, so yeah, two shots in the arm or yeah, two shots in the arm is, I can know, deal with that. Apart. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so speaking of two shots in the arm, uh, of course, that's pretty much the protocol for the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. Uh, of course, there's also the Johnson Johnson, and that's uh, helpful helpful for people uh, that have access getting to uh, to uh, immunization or vaccination site. Um, but yeah, the um, the COVID vaccine has basically given me an opportunity to help people avoid what I went through. Mm-hmm. So uh, for those of your listeners uh, who don't know me personally, I actually, I can remember the day, it was March 26. Wow. Um, midday, I felt like, like a wave of exhaustion just hit my body. All of a sudden, I was really tired. Unfortunately, I had to work all the way till seven o'clock that night. And when I came home, I collapsed in the bed and really could not get out of bed. Uh, I mean, I had trouble just, I mean, it was a chore just to get up to walk across the bedroom to go to the bathroom. And uh, all the symptoms, the body ache, the kind of body ache that you, that one gets when you have a flu. I mean, just imagine it's like a nonstop body ache. And then I would, one day I would have chills, next day I would soak the bed, next day I'd have chill. I mean, it was like a roller coaster on top of the body. And then on top of that, I was developing migraines. Um, I'd really never had the cough uh, without me noticing. I think I was having a a diminution of my breathing capacity because maybe day eight or nine, I finally decided to go to the hospital and get tested. And I thought I was getting tested for, for COVID and the nurse comes back and says, well, Mr. Redondo, you're, you're negative for strep and flu. And we're like, I didn't come for that. He's oh, well, the COVID takes two weeks. We have to send the, oh we, we have to send the test off to California. And uh, I just went home to, you know, basically with my tail in between my legs, just go back. I went back to bed just to uh, be miserable again. But then by the, uh, a day and a half later, the technician that I was working with at this independent pharmacy that I was working at the time, he says, hey, Frank, I just tested positive for, for COVID. I said, where did you go? Well, apparently the um, public health department here in Hidalgo County was actually doing testing. But in order to do the testing, you had to test negative for strep, or strep and flu, which, you know, <laughs> I ended up testing negative for strep and flu when I'd gone to the hospital. Yeah. So they asked me a million questions and scheduled me uh, for a test the following day, which was April 3rd. April 5th, they called me back, which was a Sunday. They said, you're positive. So as a man and all the men in the, your audience, you know, we were, we kind of, we're kind of like the masters of our domain. We don't, we like our autonomy. We, we, you know, typically men don't go to the hospital unless they're being born or they're dying. And, uh, and like I was telling you before, you know, my breathing hadn't really been affected, but maybe uh, three days leading up to uh, where I got the results, all of a sudden I was starting to pant. I was, I was having difficulty breathing. So I went to the hospital the next day, which was uh, April 6th, a Monday. And at that point I was pant. I mean, I was, I was panting like a dog. And um, at that time it was really hard to find uh, those pulse oximeters. So I had no idea what my uh, oxygen saturation was in my blood. They measured it and they said it was a 78. Apparently they'll admit you with a 92. Oh my God. And I had a 78, yeah. So they they wanted, they said, well, do you have any paperwork to prove that you have COVID? And we're like, who's got paperwork? No. Well, I said, call the, the county. They said, how are they gonna know? We'll just call them. So as soon as they called them, they mentioned my name. Oh yeah, Frank, he's positive. Well, you haven't even checked? Like, no, he's one of the first ones. So the reason, the hospital wanted to find out whether I had 
COVID or not, because I thought, well, just put me up at the ICU, but they were not putting uh, patients, COVID patients in their regular population, whether it was ICU or not. They had actually, uh, Doctors Hospital at Renaissance had actually purchased the hospital down the street, which used to be a, a hospice with Cornerstone. Okay. And it's a very nice facility, yeah. And unbeknownst to uh, a lot of the uh, employees at the time, my wife was a nurse in their quality uh, department. She didn't even know, a lot of employees didn't even know that there was a COVID unit. And I think I was the third patient in the unit, as it turns out. Yeah. Wow. And uh, they they uh, put me on nasal cannula oxygen for 24 hours, but apparently my oxygen kept on tanking. And um, the uh, the pulmonologist slash critical care specialist, uh, his name was Dr. Adolfo Kaplan, had uh, had said, "Okay, we need to put you on a ventilator." So. Um, so that next day, there's like seven people come in with all their PPE. I mean, they look like uh, Marty, Marty McFly from Back to the Future. You know? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I mean, they were really gowned up, kind of intimidating. And they bring in the little ventilator. It's like didn't seem that you know not intimidating. I mean, I already knew I needed to go on the ventilator, but then they wheeled in the oxygen tank because see. If you ever visit anybody in the hospital, they're, used, they're usually breathing oxygen and there's a, there's a tube coming out of the wall, but apparently it's not the same as having pressurized oxygen out of one of those tanks. So that's why even when you look at uh, these, these uh, stories of patients right now in India, they're talking about tanks of oxygen and, and people like, where do you need a tank of oxygen? Just plug it. You know, I mean, in the hospital, there's still a tank somewhere, but apparently it has to be you have each patient has their own individual oxygen tank. Wow. And when they wheeled it in, <clears throat> it really was intimidating. I mean, it was like eight, nine feet tall. It seemed oh like, a, before, or at, least, well, at least I was laying down. That's what it seemed like to me. It seemed like they rolled in an, an ICBM and their continental ballistic missile. <laughs> it was really <laughs> intimidating. So I said, I don't want to be awake for this. And the, the, the CRNA, the certified registered nurse anesthetist said, no, sweetheart, don't worry, we're going to put you to sleep. And then, then I went under. <clears throat> but apparently a couple of days uh, afterwards, I realized all of a sudden I woke up and I could hear the Darth Vader. And that was actually the ventilator. And I realized, oh, shoot, I'm still on the ventilator. And I tried moving and I couldn't move. And I... I looked down at my pinkies. I couldn't even move my pinkies. I realized I was I was paralyzed. Oh my! God. And Tyra, my wife, you know, she she was saying that the hospital has a policy where they don't restrain patients. They they apparently they paralyze you because oh. apparently I, <clears throat> they had I had been on propofol, the same uh, stuff that killed Michael Jackson. They don't. My brother, who's a critical care nurse in Houston, said uh, he. Uh, they don't like keeping their patients on that particular uh, an anesthesia for more than three days because it tends to be very addicting. So in the process of switching me over, I woke up and apparently I tried pulling, yanking the tubes out. And that's when they, I guess, uh, put me on this paralytic. So, so <clears throat> I don't think they realized I was awake because I was trying to synchronize my breathing with the, uh, with the, uh, with the ventilator, I couldn't quite do it. And then I heard somebody say, he's awake, he's awake. Then they, I guess they put me down again. Oh, God. But <clears throat> during That's the whole time, that I, I'm sorry? It sounds like that movie Robocop, where he kind of comes back and he comes, anyway, sorry. Right, well, you know, the thing is the whole time that I was under, I mean, so I, and apparently they had to like triple my dose of anesthesia because I wasn't responding to a regular or double dose. Oh, God. Um, uh, I was on IV uh, intravenous cortisone and uh, the pulmonologist says that causes ICU delirium or, uh, uh, or uh, hallucinations. Plus the coronavirus does a number of things including attacks different organs of your body. And so my liver <clears throat> amongst other things was being attacked the liver uh, does many things. One of the things that it does is breaks down protein. And when it doesn't do so, when it doesn't do it completely you have a buildup of ammonia, ammonia in your bloodstream, which causes 
dementia. I mean, I've actually seen it. I remember when I did, was doing my pharmacy internship at the VA in Houston, got to see what ammonia, uh, high ammonia blood levels does. So there's, there's a syrup uh, called lactulose that they can give you to basically uh, take it out of your body and you get rid of it through the intestinal tract. But uh, with those three things, uh, it was like the perfect cocktail, a trifecta, so to speak, of things that was causing severe hallucinations. And so I, I, I've got about three weeks worth of memories that happened in the period of 10 days that I was there. And it was, it was, it was like, a, like an alternate reality. I mean, the way I see you, the way you see me across the, the table, that's what I was experiencing. I thought it was all very real. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> wow. And um, hallucinations are rarely, <laughs> I guess, rarely happy, or at least when it comes, you know, to COVID patients and, uh, and or ICU patients, you know. So, yeah. What kind I, of things were you seeing? I mean, I had the nurse, I, I, I believe that the nurses were trying to get rid of me. Um, uh, I thought I had been taken down into Mexico and along with some other <laughs> and they had the Mexican cartel line us up and put us up as a, at a shooting uh, firing squad uh, one of the doctors um, uh, uh, I guess his daughter who was also another doctor uh, was part of a black ops team and they were trying to kill me so I had a black ops team I had a Nigerian hit squad out to get me and uh, yeah, and all kinds of you know crazy stuff yeah so so and then and afterwards I I mean I even thought that uh, one of the doctors was trying to run away with my wife you know oh. so so after I got off the anesthesia I was still hallucinating for a couple of days because I was imagining that there was uh it wasn't ghost, but I felt there was a uh, um, kind of like high tech, high tech uh, uh, technology that that the black ops group was using to trying to take me out. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> so yeah, and I also believed that the hospital room that I was in was actually a flying hospital that actually flown to. It was on a Malaysian airline flown to Japan to get access to some experimental therapy. Whoa. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because how could I have thought of that? But see, at that, when I was in, in the hospital, there was no remdesivir, no convalescent plasma. The doctors were, you know, you know, thinking of er everything through the kitchen sink at, at me, as they told me afterwards. You were like a big experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently there's a drug called Actemra. It's made by Genentech. It's actually the biotech company I used to work for. It's kind of funny. Hmm. They actually use it to treat rheumatoid arthritis. You see these ads uh, on TV where somebody might have psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, irritable bowel syndrome. All those are conditions where our immune system is attacking different parts of, of our connective tissue. So the, the, um, the, the guilty inflammatory substance can be either something called interleukin-4, interleukin-5, or interleukin-6. Well, as it turns out, the coronavirus, this COVID, amongst other things, commandeers our immune system and creates a tsunami of this interleukin-6, which causes what's referred to as the cytokine storm. And that's one of the things that basically kills a lot of people in the ICU. So the doctors decided to go ahead and give me a dose of this monoclonal antibody which was experimental therapy, which I must've heard while I was in a coma. I mean, I guess there's, and there's, I guess I, they had the TV going on. So I think there was things that I was hearing on television that was kind of being incorporated into my hallucinations. So I've, I've read that uh, it, when they're, when the surgeons are using certain types of anesthesia to have it completely quiet because otherwise the patient that is under will be hallucinating <laughs> extremely, you know? So the least, the least amount of stimulation that the patient has, the better. But I guess they weren't thinking about that, you know, while they had me under. Wow, wow. So did you have any um, awareness of how 
bad how horribly sick you were at that time um or was it just sort of like i'm sick <clears throat> that you know what you know like i was telling you before i got sick i i had the the anxiety of actually catching it but once i got sick i was no longer anxious no longer anxious i was dealing just with the symptoms as they were coming up and i I guess I knew I had it, but I didn't realize how severe I had it. Right. And um, and uh, once they put me on the ventilator within 24 hours of getting there, then I was starting to, and it seemed at the time, I didn't know the statistics. <laughs> I'm sure I still would have, would have, would have done it because I, uh, I think <clears throat> my lungs were, were only at about 10% capacity. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I had, quadruple pneumonia I mean it was <laughs> yeah I was I'm really lucky to be here but um, they say that uh, it's a 50 50 uh, situation when you get on a ventilator and the longer you stay on the ventilator the the less likely you are to get off the ventilator say after three days it really starts uh, uh, de-escalating your your chances of getting off the ventilator successfully <clears throat> And you were on for how long? I was on the ventilator for 10 days okay. in the hospital for 15. Yeah. So, so when I actually got off the ventilator, uh, I'd have the doctors come into the room. Oh, Mr. Arredondo. So, you know, they were, they were like so giddy, so happy. I was like, what is wrong with these guys? Why are they so happy? But it, because I wasn't supposed to be there. You know, they had actually called my wife Tyra twice telling her, in fact, you know, the whole reason uh, that uh, that they, I guess, that the that the local newspaper, the Monitor, and the Texas Tribune did a story on me, and that we were on CNN and then right. some other yeah. stories, was all based on my wife's journal. I mean, she would call the day shift nurses, the night shift nurses, and would talk to one of the specialists, one of the uh, physicians, every day. And see, at the time they had they at the time they had time because uh, there weren't that many people in the ICU. Like I said, I was one of the first seriously ill COVID patients here in the Valley. Mm -hmm. So we, we, she had a lot of detailed information. She, so she started to put on, uh, create these, uh, once I got out, she was posting these uh, very detailed Facebook posts that was kind of basically doing it uh, like in three day increments in terms of the whole saga. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and so they actually called her twice to say, expect the worst news tomorrow. I mean, uh, I mean, they, I was so close twice to, or they would have called a code on me or, you know, as they call it, a code blue. So, so now I understand why, like, right? Yeah. I mean, now I understand why the doctors were like, so mm -hmm. beside themselves, like, oh, you made it. It's like, you know. <laughs> it worked. And, <laughs> and there's no there's no official treatment you know there i mean i mean they they gave me an intravenous cortisone they threw antibiotics at me in fact i think i was still on antibiotics and cortisone for a, a couple of days while i was off the ventilator yeah um uh, the thing that's kind of interesting the one of the things that, that uh, hospitals uh have a protocol for is anytime a patient is on their back for more than a couple of days, they'll put on something called Lovenox, which is a, uh, a blood thinner, kind of like heparin, it's a blood thinner, because your patient's likely to develop clots if they're just on their back the whole time. So, <clears throat> so once they discharge me, they just put, uh, apparently I had developed a low blood pressure, my blood sugar was high, so I had me on insulin. And, uh, but they did put me on new blood thinners because, you know, those, I wasn't gonna be on my back anymore. But I do remember the day before I was discharged, I was watching something on Good Morning America or the Today Show. I really can't remember which of the two. And they were talking about COVID toes, uh, which apparently they were showing pictures of it, uh, of these people with these COVID toes and they were kind of reddish um, uh, toes. And uh, apparently one of the things that the coronavirus does uh, is it triggers clotting factors. So it starts to shoot little clots. And of course, the capillaries at our extremities, our toes, are the smallest that the capillaries can get. 
So clots were getting stuck there at those capillaries and then basically you weren't getting good blood flow. So <clears throat> they were getting what's called uh, COVID toes. I said, well, that's interesting. I thought to myself, so three days after I got, off, got out and I was at home, I started having issues with my feet, my toes particularly. No. And I made the connection right away. So I called my, my internist. He says, oh, uh, just put your feet up. You'll be fine. So I did. And it helped a little bit, but it started, it continued to progress, getting worse and worse. And um, in fact, to the point where my right foot started getting red and it was hot, physically hot to the touch. And as a medical professional, I know that's a potential indication for something known uh, called cellulitis or a staph infection. Mm -hmm. So I just happened to have one or two doses left over for one of my uh, stepkids' uh, antibiotic uh, course of therapy. So I took one, took pictures that night. Don't try this at home, kids. But and, Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> well, anyhow, just, no, just, but, but this, this kind of explains something. I... I took pictures, took a dose that night, and then the following morning, I felt better and they looked better. I took pictures afterwards and then I did a video call with my intern and he saw the before and the after. He's like, yeah, that's the cellulitis. Yeah, that's that infection. So at that point, he called in 10 days of that, that antibiotic. And, uh, and I said, Can, would, wouldn't, do you think it'd be prudent to put me on uh, some Xarelto or some blood thinner? He says, yeah. So he put me on three months of Xarelto. So it would have, prevented any additional clotting, but by then I already had 10 days of those little clots going to my extremities. So to, as of today, I still have uh, peripheral neuropathy in my toes. I can wiggle my toes. I just lost the nuance of light touch, you know, so I can wiggle them right now. And I mean, they don't feel the same, <clears throat> so to speak, but, uh, Looking at the big picture, uh, six months after I was uh, discharged, uh, my uh, pulmonologist had scheduled me for a follow-up visit. You know, it's kind of funny when he told me six months, like, I'm gonna wait so long, but I, I think uh, we were still deep in the pandemic and, you know, I, I guess they weren't seeing patients in the, in the uh, office, right. I thought, I'm not sure. So we did have one or two uh, video, uh, med medical video calls. But I went in for my six-month follow-up, and that was discharged uh, April the twentieth. So six months afterwards, I went in for my six-month follow-up. And there's something known as a pulmonary function test. Uh, if any of your patients, uh, excuse me, if any of your any of your uh, 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 listeners want to see what a pulmonary function test is, uh, it's no walk in the park. Uh, so I had to go through one of those. What very difficult yeah, what do you do? pulmonary function test to, to basically see where my lung capacity was at. And so <clears throat> they, they got the results and they gave them to the doctor and then went back to the, the waiting room, uh, the, pa yeah, the patient, the, the patient room. And he came in and he looks as well. Uh, I don't know how he did it. I said, what? He says, your lungs are perfect. Like you were never sick. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So the thing is, I said, do you think it's that Ectemera, that monoclonal antibody? Are you still are you still using it? Like, no, we're not using it anymore. We're just using the convalescent plasma and the remdesivir. Well, how's that working? He says, not very good. Hmm. He said, he says, right now I've got so many patients that are on oxygen and are having heart car cardiovascular issues because like the coronavirus attacks like all the organs. The liver is resilient. I mean, it can bounce back. Mm -hmm. But the, the lungs and the heart, it's like when you have a, a heart attack, whatever part of the heart dies, dies, it doesn't come back. Wow. So um, uh, apparently he, he said, we're gonna have a whole generation of people with, with heart and lung problems because you know it's kind of like the unspoken aspect of the, the COVID uh, morbidity. I mean, we were all kind of, in tune with the mortality that we we passed, you know, half a million Americans, and I don't even know where we're at now. Six hundred thousand. Six hundred thousand. Yeah. That's what I so, so those are the people that were unfortunately not able to survive the 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 virus and all that it does. But 
for the people who survived, who affect these people who never quite get sick enough to get on a ventilator or even go to the hospital, but have been continuously, uh, I guess, uh, affected by the, the coronavirus where they, they, I think they're called long haulers, where yeah. they're, they're having a lot of these, uh, they're having a lot of these uh, long-term consequences of, of the virus. So <clears throat> uh, I know uh, there's a couple of companies, Regeneron, Eli Lilly have these monoclonal antibody or monoclonal body cocktails that are used to treat the patient once they have the, uh, the, uh, the illness. And I don't know if that's done um, as an outpatient or inpatient. Uh, I know the Regeneron product can either be given intramuscularly or intravenously. If it's intravenously, then obviously they either go to the hospital or they go to one of these uh, intravenous centers. But um, uh, I mean, I consider myself incredibly, incredibly lucky, fortunate to, to have to go through all this. And, you know, the, the worst I have to deal with is, you know, slightly numb toes. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I still go running with, with my wife not as often as she does. <laughs> she's she's really dedicated. In fact, she's actually now a a, a certified running coach. So really? that's great. Yeah. yeah so yeah, she's looking to develop that. And and uh, the other thing is uh, she's been also working on a book. Really? Yes. So you being the journalistic person, maybe uh, I'll have her give you a call and. Yeah, I'd be happy to help her, like proofread or anything like that. Sure. Uh, well, cool. She's still asking me to do my chapter, so uh, I've been dragging my feet, but uh, I'll uh, I'll promise to her here in front of everybody. On that, <laughs> yes, it's on the it's on the record. Yeah, that I awesome. I will do my chapter or two. What uh, you gonna call the book? Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm pretty. I hadn't thought of. I mean, I'm pretty good at the you know having ideas for branding things. I don't know. You know, COVID and me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a little catchier, but they, well, she'll think of something. And if not, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, do you ever um, look back on that? I mean, I know you consider yourself very lucky. I mean, I think also being one of the first people, yeah, you were sort of like a guinea pig. I mean, to be, you know, that's the way it yeah, sounds no. anyway. Yeah. They did, they did refer to me as a guinea pig. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the other thing is, I, I think they say that. There's a certain portion of the population that tends to more be more susceptible to the COVID virus, and um, if you have the Neanderthal gene, you know, of course, you know. What does that mean? Women, women, women will always call men, "Oh, you Neanderthal." Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, men. But apparently, <clears throat> I think if you do the Twenty Three and Me or some uh -huh. of these other genetic uh, tests, they will actually tell you whether or not you have the Neanderthal gene. Wow, I think I might need to go do that. <laughs> right. I, I also say, I know it's funny because most of the people I know who've had COVID in the Valley, for instance, are men. Maybe there's something to that. Well, you know, one of the things, well, see, yes, men have a, a, a greater likelihood to succumb to the, I mean, there's the age and of course men are more susceptible, but uh, generally speaking, uh, in one of these uh, panel discussions that I was in, there's there there's still uh, there's still more men that are not getting vaccinated. And if you think about it, uh, not only are men men more susceptible, men typically have jobs where they're exposed to a lot more people, you know, um, and uh, and then sometimes they may not recognize the symptoms. You know, they'll just kind of blow it off. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I got a little bit of cough. You know. My back is sore. Okay, I've lost my taste, of, my sense of taste and smell. You know, so they they will. I mean, it's kind of like with diabetes down here. I mean, they're not going to be coming into the doctor's office till they're half blind and and you know, let his left left foot has gone gangrene. You know, yeah. So yeah, I tend to well, blow like, things. Yeah, as as I, I usually say, mi gente. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Me. <laughs> my people thing <laughs> oh my gosh um was i going to ask you um 
oh god i had a really good question and then of course it just escaped me because i was giggling um that's my problem um so what do you think was the susceptibility in men or? Well, that or, I mean, also, oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Do you think you got it from your colleague? I mean, this is always, I know this is like kind of a dumb question to ask, but well, not really, because everybody always kind of wants yeah. to blame yes. somebody. He, you know? I got it from uh, the technician I was working with, but he got it from somebody who got it from somebody who had gone to Houston recently. Mm. Now, the thing is, he was 40 years old. Wow. So, you know, he just got the sore back and the cough. And, and the, the other thing, he was on a product called Losartan, which is, uh, I, I think, I'm trying to remember, I, I think if you're taking an ACE inhibitor or what they call a renin inhibitor, you, it might actually protect you against the coronavirus. Uh, I'll have to double check that. Okay. But the thing is, he was young. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so he really didn't get any more effective than, than uh, kind of mild. just, yeah, mild. And uh, in fact, Tyra was 15 years younger than I am. So three days after I was admitted, she came down with- 15, uh, right, yeah. 15, one, five. <laughs> yeah, it's not like 50, I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, so she she basically had soreness in the back. Her sinuses felt like she, she was did have it too. Yeah, and um, and she had lost she had lost the taste and smell for about four or five days, and it was gone. You know, and she didn't even think anything of it until way afterward. Mm -hmm. And then her twenty two year old daughter basically had the same thing, except she had one day of chills, uh, and then it it was gone. Uh, her two twin boys. Uh, did, we didn't realize they got it until, uh, I guess, a fair bit afterwards, we were noticing there's a certain brand of orange juice that we like to drink. The uh, I think the HEB premium brand that's not uh, from concentrates, pasteurized, whatever. You know. uh -huh. And it tasted spoiled. Oh, it tasted wow. spoiled. And so, but at the Tyrus says, no, it's fine. It, it tastes fine. So, so we, we went and bought some Tropicana from Sam's. And it was it was fine. So she was kind of making making fun of us, poking fun of us, saying, "Oh, you're like the princess in the pea. You're just too sensitive." <laughs> but after a while, our taste buds normalized, and it it, it, it was it kind of got back. But I mean, I, I hear people that they they their loss of uh, taste of smell or their their actual ability to taste normally has, has still been affected months after coming down with the virus. <laughs> So again, you know, we're not all created equal equally. The there's you know, a lot of us will respond differently. And I mean, same thing with the when you get the vaccine, some people tend to not have any of the side effects. I've noticed that the older the older you are, I mean, the closer you are to sending your 80, I've noticed my patients aren't getting the sore arm, aren't getting aren't aren't getting the exhaustion, you know, aren't getting the body aches. Yeah, yeah. I uh, my students seem to get it really bad. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, with the first dose, typically you get uh, the body ache and and the sore arm for a couple of days. It's after the second dose, what happens is your body creates a, a big wave or a tsunami of antibodies, and the body expends so much energy in making those antibodies that it makes us extremely tired the following day. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, in the younger patient population, anybody who's uh, come down with the virus, uh, in, the, in the young patient population, they don't, they don't typically demonstrate any symptoms. So a lot of them never knew they actually got COVID. Mm -hmm. So if you got COVID within the last so many months, whether you felt the symptoms or not, you in fact already have a level of antibodies. Yeah. So when you inject those patients with the first dose, the body senses that it's the second dose, and they're getting that big wave of antibodies with the first dose. So some of your some of your students, your your these young kids, they're getting the sore arm, they're getting the body ache, and then they're also getting extremely tired. In fact, Tyra was not only tired, but she was also nauseous. So you'd be fever, nauseous, and tired. So they'll say, Oh, I got the first dose of baby sick, you know. But that's that's why, because they are they had already contracted the coronavirus within the last so many months. So they already had a 
level of antibodies and the body was just making the the tsunami of antibodies mm -hmm. after the first dose what do you think that that covid this is the question i wanted to ask you what do you think covid has taught taught us as a society because i know big picture i mean now that we're starting to come out of this thing thank god i mean i feel like a you know a butterfly or something now because it's like you know i'm doing art i feel much you know i'm gonna go see my family in a few weeks and you know because i've been like you know freaked out for the last year and a half um yeah. what do you think it's taught us as a society um just about people in general i could answer in three words okay life is a gift Mm -hmm. And the thing is, as adults, as responsible adults, we're taught to be responsible and therefore we plan. And, uh, and so, you know, we're, as, as children, we, we, I think it's more of an, an intrinsic quality that children have that they are in the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, not that they say, hey, I'm going to enjoy this moment, but no, they just naturally, you know, have a hard time thinking about what happened five minutes ago or what's going to happen five minutes from now. Mm -hmm. You know, and as adults, of course, we can't quite just be so oblivious to the past and the future. But the thing is, I think we're so hung up on the past and the future that we, you know, we lose uh, our ability to focus on you know, enjoying what we have right now, you know, enjoying the conversation that you're having with a friend, with a friend or family member, or, you know, going out when you're running and to, you know, see the sun glistening through the leaves, the trees that you see. I mean, all those are just incredible moments that, uh, that, that, uh, you know, that we won't ever, ever be able to replace. And as someone who was on death's door, and I mean, I know it sounds so dramatic, but oh, it's true. But um, coming out of that, I mean, I did I was able to take some time off last summer and and uh, you know travel with 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 my wife and uh, uh, just in, in you know the the people that you know, I don't take them for granted. I think of the the great Gatsby, you know, pay, pay your respects to the living. Mm -hmm. Very much so, very much so. You know? And that includes yourself. I mean, you know, you know, take, you know, take a moment to enjoy, you know, the moment, you know, whether you're by, by yourself or with anyone else. Right. Yeah. And that, and that'll basically translate to, you know, every, every other thing, endeavor that we do, you know, but I think life is a gift and, and we need to appreciate what we have. I agree. That's, I can, I can totally understand that. I think that that's a really good way to put it too. So it's probably a good ending note too. Um, one quick question um, about your running. Uh, how's your running been affected by this or has it? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I could still, Run! I, I run. I think uh, my Tyra and I ran a, a virtual 10K mm -hmm. uh, not too long ago, and and I, I mean, I, I think I went. I haven't been running as much just because of, of work, right? You know, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I can go out and run uh, five six miles. Uh, I'm not I'm not super fast. <laughs> 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 that might be the older thing though <laughs> but no i mean and the thing is uh uh no i uh, like like my pulmonologist said my lung capacity is still there um good and you know i have a you know it's it's like when you go out or you haven't run in a while the hardest part is get you know getting your shoes on and getting out there but once you get out there <laughs> it's liberating it is it is so, all right, well, Frank, thank you so very much uh, for taking some time out of your morning uh, to talk to me. Um, also, just send me a photo of yourself uh, or if you want to send one with you and Tyra, that's fine too. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and I'm really glad I got a chance to talk to you. I remember 
I think the last time I saw you on a screen was when you were on CNN last year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I know him. <laughs> well, I, I sent you some uh, uh, on Gmail, your Gmail. I sent you yeah, a video clip. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'll send you some pictures as well. Okay, that'd be great. All right, well, listen, you have a great rest of your week and uh, I will uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll be down in the valley before long. I mean, I was down there for mesquite fire and um, yeah, it's just little by little. I know I'm, I'm, I've got a really busy summer going here. I'm kind of excited. It's like, you know, after last year, I feel like God, it's time. <laughs> uh -oh. How are you liking San Antonio? I love it. You know, it's funny because I, I'm going to stop recording real quick. Okay, hang on. Ah, if, I, if I can get my mouse over here. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and found it very enlightening. And I do love his three word answer at the end. And um, I have to say, it's very strange. It's like in the last few weeks, I have really, I don't know. I just feel like the last year or so, I mean, and I wasn't even aware of it at the time, but it's like looking back, you know, I was sort of in a cave more or less just the way I was living because, you know, I was terrified of getting sick. And, and a lot of that stems from, you know, obviously nobody wants to get sick and especially not with this stuff. Um, but also just because I was living by myself and I really don't have relatives nearby and, you know, I've got some friends, but you know, but you, can, you can't ask your friends to come take care of you. So I think I, I was sort of living in this sort of sheltered, somewhat angry bubble, I guess. Sometimes I would feel a little miffed when I saw people flouting the rules. And so you know, because I felt like, well, here I am, I'm playing by the rules and I'm trying my darndest to do the right thing, etc. And, um, you know, and then you see other people, I can just remember the last Memorial Day, you know, those people in Missouri, you know, all at this stupid swimming thing, God knows how many of them end up getting sick, you know, and it just, it's weird because in my mind, COVID sort of played out as some sort of morality tale um, in that, you know, how, how willing are you to, you know, take one for the team or do something for the greater good? And, um, and I also, I, I found that a lot of people that I know and, you know, other people that I don't know, just watching them from afar really didn't care. And they just sort of said, you know, me first, whatever, you know, and the rest of you just, you know, it's your problem. You have to deal with it. And I really didn't like that. And I think that kind of made me a little bit unhappy with the, you know, the state of the country and well, even the world to a point. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that, uh, this, <laughs> it's definitely taught us a lot. And I think if anything for me, and it's exactly what Frank was saying, it's like, you know, life is a gift. And I think for me, it's even two words, life, well, three words, life is short. And I think if anything, there's nothing that has made me much more abundantly clear to that end than this past year. And I've really decided over the you know, last several weeks, especially now that I've been vaccinated, go see my family and, you know, travel out of state to a concert. Um, I've taken up mosaicing again, which I haven't really done since I was like in high school and I've been uh, doing acrylic paints and, uh, you know, I've always been like an artistic person, but I think I suppressed a lot of that energy just because, I don't know, I didn't have time for it or I just didn't feel like it. And so now that I realize that, hey, I don't, you know, I, don't, I think I talked about this last week too. I don't know how many more years I've got left on this earth or days or months or, you know, what have you. And I think it's time just to sort of say, you know what? let's go, let's live, let's, you know, I mean, I'm not going to be that reckless that I'm going to go out and like, you know, do some, you know, really crazy stuff. But I also feel like I'm tired of being, you know, sheltered, sheltering myself and um, living in fear and just feeling like, you know, well, I got to obey. And I mean, it's not like I'm saying, oh God, you know, let's just throw those masks in the trash. I'm not going to exactly say that either, but I do feel a lot less inhibited about things with you know, having to do with life and living. And, um, so I think that's one very important takeaway. And if you haven't experienced that or felt that, then I'm really sorry because it's a gift. It's a really wonderful feeling to feel this energetic once again about life. It's never that I, it's not that I never felt like that, but I think I'm much more acutely aware of it. 
And um, again, I think, you know, turning 60, you know, made me realize it's like, dude, you, know, you don't have a heck of a lot of time left. Uh, I mean, who knows? I may live to be a hundred, you know, God, I hope not. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I don't want to be, you know, some old person that are just sort of propping up and, you know, kind of like, you know, managing or whatever. It's like, no, I'm, you know, if I go out, I'm going to go out. You know, I don't Anyway, let's not talk about that. But anyway, so I just, I think that really taught me a lot and I feel pretty good about, um, the way things are going. I mean, I just feel like, you know, the U S you know, here we go, here's the political opinion, but I feel like the U S really screwed up pretty badly during the epidemic as it started. And a lot of that came from leadership at the national and state levels. Um, and even some local, uh, although I will say that, um, in terms of Bear County, San Antonio, we had some great leaders and I felt like they were, they really had our backs. Um, as opposed to our state government, which I, I still feel like, you know, this guy and his um, cabinet really are people that don't care about anybody other than themselves and enriching themselves. And uh, definitely is the case for the previous administration. Yeah, I know. I'm going there. Okay. Um, so happy he's gone. And I think that was also an, another element of that stress from last year was just that stress of knowing that you know, we've got this lunatic in the, in the white house who did not give a crap about anyone other than himself. And it was just so stressful for four years. I know, I know some of you who may like Trump or be pro Trump, God love you, you know, but you're all like, well, we survived eight years of Obama, but it wasn't like Obama was some, you know, raging lunatic who was pretty much you know, didn't give a crap about anyone's, you know, well-being other than his own. And, you know, even his own reckless behavior caused him to get incredibly sick. And um, anyway, okay, I'm blathering. <sighs> Running. Hey, how about that? Um, yeah, been doing okay on the uh, great virtual race across Tennessee. Um, <laughs> I'm not really sure how ready I'm going to be for that 30K uh, in a couple weeks at Pedernales. There's my conventional wisdom tells me that maybe I should just drop to the 20K and just kind of take it from there. Um, I don't know. That's gonna, That's probably going to be a game day decision because I just have to make a decision about whether I want to be out there all flipping night and DNF, you know, because I get heat sick or if I'm just going to do a strong 20K and feel good and go home, you know. Um, I mean, my hope is that I can pull it off, but I don't know. My long runs haven't been that great. I mean, it's just gotten really hot here. And, um, so I don't know. I have to just kind of flip a coin that, that afternoon and, uh, see what, see how I'm feeling. And, uh, yeah, I mean, either way, I mean, I'm going to do something and, uh, super excited about that and, um, really excited to go back to the night races. So, um, Anyway, um, any other news? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Oh, 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 mm -mm. spoiler alert or <laughs> previews of coming attractions alert. I uh, looked at the Texas Trail Championships um, standings for the trail, um, what do you call it, category um, in my age group, the old ladies group, uh, well, there's even ladies older, but anyway, um, looks like I came in second, woo, uh, by a hair. Let me just tell you, it was only a few points that I managed to beat out this other person, uh, for third, you know, she got third and I got second and this other person got first. Um, cause I just wasn't even sure if I was going to place, but I, it looks like I did. And so I may be getting a little something, something at, um, Pedernales when I uh, go, uh, cause I think they hand out the awards for the spring at that race. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see, but I'm kind of excited cause it's like <laughs> finally getting old has its benefits. Woohoo! <laughs> anyway, that's all I've got for now. I'll see you next time.